In celebration of 25 years on the air, we are giving away a very special book for a limited time, The Future by Menno Kalischer. After reading this book, you'll have a clear understanding of two often misunderstood books of the Bible, Daniel and Revelation. That's our gift to you as we celebrate 25 years on the air. Just call us at 888-343-6940. Again, that's 888-343-6940. We'll have more to say about this free, limited time offer later. Welcome to the Friends of Israel Today, where we teach biblical truth for changing times. I'm Steve Conover. We'll join our host and teacher, Chris Katolka, in a moment. The books of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. These are the books in the middle of your Bible that pastors sometimes joke about being where your pages are stuck together because they're never opened. Kidding aside, they are part of God's Word and do have a message for us today. On this program, Chris gives us some helpful tools in understanding those shorter books that end the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. Also on the program, Chris answers the question, is Jehovah and Allah the same God? In today's world, it is important that we know how to answer that question. And as always, apples of gold, stay with us. Welcome, my friends, to the program. Thank you for joining us today. So we're going to dive into a new topic here. We're going to we're going to talk about something for the next two weeks that's uh, I think really important. I, I want to discuss the issue of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. You know, to me, the minor prophets are some of the most interesting people. Uh, they're writing during a time that's fascinating in Israel's history. They're speaking truth to a group of people that have wandered away from God. But the problem is, is that oftentimes I think it's really difficult for us to understand what the minor prophets are saying. Now, let me say this. The minor prophets aren't minor because of uh, their significance. In fact, some of the most vital messianic prophecies come from the minor prophets, like Micah 5.2, which tells us where the Messiah would be born you know, in the town of Bethlehem or Zechariah 9.9 that tells us about Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey from Matthew chapter 21, the triumphal entry. So clearly the minor prophets aren't minor for their significance. So why are they minor? This is actually really interesting. They're minor because of their size. They are relatively small books in the Old Testament. The minor prophets can range anywhere from three chapters to 14 chapters or so. The only small book in the prophets is Daniel. He's actually considered a major prophet, even though he only has 12 chapters. But that's probably because of the global significance of what uh, Daniel is trying to communicate, that even though his book is small, he's still communicating a big global picture of what God would do when his kingdom does come. And so today... As, as, as we're going to go through the Minor Prophets, I can't walk us through each one. I want to do something that will help us along the way when it comes to understanding the Minor Prophets. Uh, th- these books can be quite daunting, and when you kind of just jump right into the Minor Prophets, they can be overwhelming. Uh, the Minor Prophets, like any prophetic book, can be a challenge because first, they often write in Hebrew poetics— 
And Hebrew poetics aren't the easiest thing to grasp. So it's very difficult sometimes to to understand what's being communicated. The other hang-up with the Minor Prophets is knowing the history surrounding what the prophets were writing about. You know, there are spiritual components, geopolitical components, prophetic components to understanding the Minor Prophets. So if you don't have an understanding of what's happening during Israel's history when the Minor Prophets wrote, then it will be hard to fully grasp anything that the prophets are saying. So we can't, like I said, we can't go through all the minor prophets together, but I can give you some tools to help us read the prophets with a little more confidence. So I think it's important to know that all the minor prophets work off the same premise. They work off the same foundation. Even though the history of the minor prophets span as much as 400 years, They were all dependent on revelation from God and from his law, the word. And let me try to give you an example. You know, in many ways, whenever we drive down the highway, we kind of act a little bit like a prophet. Now, before you go turning off the radio station, just hear me out for a moment. Let's say you're driving in your car and you enter the highway. The first sign you see is a speed limit sign that says, you know, go 65 miles an hour. And that speed limit sign is the law. Now, as you continue to drive, that law is something that you saw in the past and you know it. You know to drive 65 miles an hour. Now, you continue to drive 65, and then all of a sudden, this crazy driver speeds past you going 80, 90, maybe even 100 miles an hour. Now, whenever I see somebody driving like that, I say to myself, that guy's going to get pulled over by a cop or that guy's going to kill somebody. If you've ever experienced a moment like that driving, you've acted a little like a minor prophet. See, the minor prophets had the law of the Old Testament and the punishment for not following the commands of God, uh, which can be found in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. They had the speed limit sign. They understood what the law was. And the results for Israel not following the law resulted in three major components. Think about this. First, if Israel didn't follow the law, if they decided to go speeding down the highway, the first thing God would do is turn off the water. He would shut off the rain. No rain, no crops. No crops, no food. This is the scenario that's found when Elijah killed the prophets of Baal. Remember that story when fire came down in 1 Kings 18? God wanted to send a signal to draw the people of Israel back to him. He shut the water off. And if you remember, after uh, Elijah killed the prophets of Baal, what does he do? He sends his, his, uh, uh, somebody to go up to the top of the mountain to look for a cloud to see if rain was coming. The second thing, after if, if Israel didn't turn back to God after the first response of turning off the water, God was going to bring a foreign nation to judge Israel. And that happened, think about it, over and over again. Empires like Assyria and Babylon are two major empires that God used to judge his people for falling away from him. And the third, if the people of Israel continue to disobey God, he's going to scatter them. And all of this can be found in Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. You should read them. They're very fascinating. The minor prophets knew the law. 
And they also saw Israel and Judah breaking the law, like a person that was speeding recklessly down the highway. And here's what makes you a little different from a minor prophet, though. You can only vaguely see what might happen to that crazy driver. He's, he's got, he, one day he's going to get pulled over if he keeps driving like that. One day he could seriously injure somebody if he keeps driving like that. But you don't know when that will happen. The minor prophets, on the other hand, had clarity. They had the clarity to know what was going to happen to the people of Israel because it was God who could see from the beginning to the end communicating to the minor prophet the prophecy about what will happen if Israel continues to disobey. That Israel's behavior in disobedience would lead to their ruin, and as a result, they would be judged by God. And that's what the majority of the minor prophets are talking about. The first foundation for understanding the minor prophets is knowing this, that Israel's potential ruin could come if they continue to act recklessly with God's law, if they continue to break God's law. The minor prophets were raised up by God to get Israel's attention to draw Israel back to the Lord and to prevent them from future ruin, to prevent them from encountering the judgment of God. Now listen, I believe wholeheartedly that this is a reminder for us as Christians today. I always like to say Israel's story is my story. The only difference that we have from Israel of the Old Testament is this, is that we have more responsibility as the church because the very Holy Spirit of God is dwelling within us. We have more light. We have more revelation from God. And we have the Holy Spirit living in us, guiding us. And yet the desire to wander from God is present in every believer. Uh, You know, I always gravitate to that hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a line in that hymn that sticks out and I think grounds the hymn for the life of every Christian. And it's the line that says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all have the capacity to wander from God. And God today still speaks to us and he draws us back to him. He speaks to us through his word, a constant reminder to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And he's given this to all of us. He's built the church, the body of believers that are supposed to be working together under Christ's leadership to encourage and lift one another up when we feel prone to wander from God. God in his grace will always send a warning shot that we are headed for ruin. He did this with Israel, with the minor prophets, and he does this today for us through his word and through others the Lord uses to speak into our lives. So the one thing to remember about reading the minor prophets is this. The minor prophets were there to warn Israel of their potential ruin. They were sending out warning signals. Now listen, next week as we wrap up our series on the minor prophets, We'll be looking at other key themes for the minor prophets, and I think ones of great hope and anticipation, because from ruin, from the ashes of ruin, come the hope of restoration.
Can you believe the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry has been on the radio for 25 years? So to say thank you to all of our faithful listeners, we're giving a free copy of The Future, Coming Events According to the Scriptures. This book is an absolutely brilliant way to teach Bible prophecy. Designed around colorful drawings, bold graphics, and easy-to-follow timelines, this unique work explains the books of Daniel and Revelation along with other prophetic passages using symbols that separate the futures of Israel, the church, and the nations. It's prophecy in a way that everyone can understand. We'll be giving away the future for the entire month of April. So to receive your free copy of the future for our 25th anniversary, visit foiradio.org or call 888-343-6940. That's 888-343-6940. So a few weeks ago, my mother sent an interesting editorial that came out of a local newspaper in the Philadelphia area, the Bucks County Courier-Times. And she sent it to me because the topic is actually really interesting. Uh, Just listen to the title of this editorial. An open letter to the one God of the three Abrahamic faiths. Now, of course, the three Abrahamic faiths that are being talked about in this editorial are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So once you hear that title, you kind of get an idea of where this editorial is headed. Bob Anderson, the writer, he really rips into God as if God is this upset parent who can't get a hold of his three unruly children, his three disobedient children, the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims. Anderson believes Christians, Jews, and Muslims worship the same God. And anyone who reads the Bible, Torah, or the Quran literally is considered a zealot. He writes this, Blinded by literalism, these zealots cited texts from each tradition condoning violence and disregarded the shared lifeblood of the three Abrahamic faiths. Love, compassion, mercy, peacefulness, generosity, and the sanctity and fullness of life. They slandered you, the author of all life. Now, those are nice words from Bob Anderson in his editorial, but this is my problem with his perspective. The God of Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are not the same God. So first, let me say, the God of Judaism and Christianity, in my eyes, as a Christian, the way I look at it, they are the same God. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is the manifestation of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And think about this. You cannot have a New Testament without first having an Old Testament. They rely on one another. You can't have the Gospels. You can't have the history of the church or the epistles unless you have an Old Testament because, number one, the writers of the New Testament were Jewish, just like the writers of the Old Testament, and... Uh, the, the New Testament writers relied heavily on the Old Testament. And so, uh, and remember, the Old Testament is the same book in the Jewish community that's called the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. We, we, we read the same book as Christians and Jews. So in my eyes, the God of Judaism and Christianity are the same. So we're going to call him Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So then the question becomes, is Jehovah and Allah the same God? Well, unlike the Old Testament and New Testament, which really rely on one another, the Quran, which is the, uh, the holy scriptures of the Islamic faith, the Quran essentially stands on its own. Now, the Quran does pull a lot of its material from the themes and the stories of the Old Testament and New Testament. And many of the characters of the Bible in, in the Islamic faith are considered to be saints or holy people. But remember something. Compared to Judaism and Christianity, the Muslim faith is the youngest of all three. The, the Quran was written 600 years after the life of Christ. But the problem is this. Many devout Muslims will, will convey the idea that the Bible, the Old Testament and New Testament, are unreliable and they're corrupt. They do not tell the proper story. And so they're untrustworthy. And really, they don't deserve to be read or, or a part of the Islamic faith because they're corrupted. They tell different stories, what they consider false stories. So I think that that is a very big difference. You know, how can you have the same God if he's giving you two different stories? But I think the most critical or vital difference between Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Allah is the fruit that is produced by the revelation of these scriptures. And I think this is most important because think about this. The character of Jehovah God is revealed in the Bible. Uh, we know God through the Bible. We understand what he, how he thinks, how he acts. We understand his heart and what he desires of us through uh, the, the Bible. And the same can be said of the Quran. We understand the character of Allah through the Quran, what he thinks and demands of people that follow him and how he thinks and acts and, and what's in his heart. And yet, they're vastly different. How can the same God of the Bible who encourages spreading the truth about him through love and peace be the same God in a different book, the Quran, who encourages spreading Islam through fighting for Allah? The problem I have with this editorial, the open letter to the one God of the three Abrahamic faiths, is that the God of these three faiths is not the same God. Our God the God of the Judeo-Christian worldview is much different than the God of Islam. Now, listen, I want to hear from you so you can weigh in. I, I'd encourage you to go to foiradio.org and leave a comment for us. Let us know what you think. Or call 888-343-6940. And I want to know from you, is the God of the Judeo-Christian worldview the same God as Islam? Or is he different? I look forward to hearing from you. Israel, on the verge of becoming a state, a teenage Holocaust survivor arrives on her shores alone. His name is Svi Kalisher. Little did he know his search for a new life in the Holy Land would lead him to the Messiah. Svi, enthusiastic to share his faith, engaged others in spiritual conversations, many of which can be found in our magazine, Israel, My Glory. While Sfi is now in the presence of his Savior, his collected writings from well over 50 years of ministry continue to encourage believers worldwide. Now, Apples of Gold, a dramatic reading from the life of Sfi. Not long ago, I was out walking 
and four ultra-Orthodox men stopped me on the street. Do you recognize us? We had a long conversation with you more than a year ago, and you promised to continue our conversation, so are you ready? I am always ready. We spoke about this man, one said. By this man, they meant Jesus. The Orthodox will not say his name. My job is not to speak to you about a mere man, but I will be happy to continue our conversation about the need to have faith in the Lord, according to the Bible. You put your faith in fictional stories and in your rabbis. Then one asked me which God I believe in. They do not understand we believe in a single God composed of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So I showed them Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, which they chant three times daily in their synagogues, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One man angrily asked me, In how many gods have you believed? We know whom you worship. How did you find him? This is a good question, I replied. If you read from God's word alone, you will learn how to know the Lord personally. Show us where this is written, one said. I opened my Bible to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it is written, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just in having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. I told them, You are in darkness. If you will worship God alone, then you will see the great light. What great light? one asked. So I showed them Isaiah 9, where it is written, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They examined it closely to make sure it was the Bible. Then they wanted to know which rabbi taught me this. I told them, I do not learn from rabbis. I learn from the Bible. One replied, Most Christians speak about this Holy Spirit. But faith in such a one is against our religion. So I asked them if they considered King David a Christian. No, they all declared. He was a good Jew. So I asked if they believe what is written in the Psalms. Of course, they all replied. Please read Psalm 51. Pay attention to verse 11, since you say only Christians believe in the Holy Spirit. They read, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. They were shocked. I cannot believe what I have just read. I said, There is a big difference between those who trust in the Lord and His Word, and those of you who trust in stories and the words of men. Please pray that these men will study the Bible on their own, and let the Holy Spirit speak to them through it.
dramatic reading you just heard is taken from a feature you can read in our bi-monthly magazine, Israel, My Glory. If you enjoy Apples of Gold, be sure to sign up for a free one-year trial subscription when you visit foiradio.org. You can also call our listener line at 888-343-6940. Take advantage of this free offer. Call 888-343-6940. And I'll remind you once more to ask for the limited time free book offer, The Future, by Menno Kalischer, when you call. You can also write to us at FOI Radio PO Box 914, Belmar, New Jersey, 08099. Or simply visit us at foiradio.org. Again, that's foiradio.org. The Friends of Israel Today is a production of the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. We are a worldwide Christian ministry communicating biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah while fostering solidarity with the Jewish people.